Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. Thanks for joining me. Awesome show planned for you today. <laughs> One of my favorite media personalities of all time joining us today. I'm in a good, happy mood. Happy, excited to be joined by the great, the all-time great, Megan Kelly. Uh, we're going to have a lively discussion about a lot of things. So she's going to host the next GOP presidential debate. We'll talk about Derek Chauvin and uh, the documentary that came out on him. We'll talk about a number of things with Megyn Kelly. Stay tuned for that. Before we do that, before we get to Megyn, I want to talk to you guys about one of my favorite topics. You guys know preborn. You guys know our commitment to preborn. You guys know what preborn does. It supports our belief that life begins at conception, and it does that by supporting expectant mothers who are considering abortion by providing them an ultrasound that introduces them to that baby's heartbeat and then introduces them to an, in, an image of that baby inside the womb. Once that mother sees, hears that heartbeat, sees that baby, she is more than twice as likely to choose life. And that's when preborn steps up and steps in and supports that woman throughout her pregnancy and through the first two years of that baby's life outside the womb. Preborn is awesome. And it is a part of our fearless mindset that life begins at conception and that drives our worldview, defines our worldview. Nothing we can do better than support preborn. $28 pays for an ultrasound, $280 pays for 10, $2,800. If I do the math, carry the one. That pays for 100, I believe, uh, ultrasounds. So <clears throat> anyway, whatever you can give, it all goes to a great cause. You guys have seen uh, Dan Steiner on the show, the founder of Preborn. We know where our money goes. It's not paying for a bunch of executives uh, so they can have second homes down in Florida. It goes to paying for ultrasounds and the material needs, the diapers and all that other kind of stuff that babies need uh, to get through the first two years of their life. Uh, there's two ways to give. You can hit pound 250, say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. Or you can give the way I prefer to give by going to preborn.com slash fearless. That's preborn.com slash fearless. All right, so uh, without further ado, uh, let's bring in uh, one of my two favorite media personalities. I just got to be honest. I go back and forth between Matt Walsh and Megyn Kelly as my two favorite media personalities. And then I bring Megan onto the show and, and Megan, I hope this isn't offensive when I say this. I'm just keeping it real. I'm very honest on this show. I go back and forth over Twitter. Is, is Megan my favorite? Is Matt my favorite? And then we have Megan on the show, and I have to look at her, and she looks like she's 30 <laughs> years old. And Megan's my favorite media personality. So Done. Uh, you Take have that, that advantage Matt over Matt Walsh. <laughs> Take it. Megan, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for joining me. 
you, I think, interviewed Liz Collin last week about her documentary on the fall of Minneapolis and Derek Chauvin. And I want to start there uh, because I, I found her documentary amazing, uh, powerful. Uh, I think it, it makes me even more confident uh, that Derek Chauvin and the three other police officers got a very raw deal. Uh, what was your reaction to her documentary and your interaction with her? Yeah, I said when she came on, normally I try to watch the movies of people who are coming on before the day of, just because it's too chaotic. But that day it was just too busy and I hadn't gotten to it. So I watched it that morning and I had just finished when I went on the air and I was still emotional. I, I felt teary. I just felt like, oh my God, what happened to those cops was deeply wrong. They were railroaded by a system chief, chiefly led by Keith Ellison, a partisan hack, AG, um, that was out to get them, irrespective of the evidence. And it seems to me that also Derek Chauvin wasn't quite represented as adequately as he could have been uh, when it came to his counsel. And so this guy had an entire system out to get him. There is absolutely no way that case should have been tried in Minneapolis. I understand the judge saying, hey, everybody knows about this case. He can't get a fair trial anywhere if he can't get, you know, it's all going to be the same. That's different from having the actual jurors have to fear for their families and their homes and their own safety uh, in their own town if they come up with, quote, the wrong verdict. And I really think that the media was complicit in painting a picture of not just Chauvin, but the other three cops, too, that was really flawed, to put it generously. And now, of course, it's just been compounded by what's happening to him again in the court system and in the jail. So let me play as devil's advocate. I'm about to say things that I would not. I, I, I wouldn't have gone this direction, but I just want to play devil's advocate. Yeah, you're sure. the mayor of Minneapolis. You're the attorney general of the state of Minnesota. Uh, you're the whoever was in charge of law enforcement in the greater Minneapolis area. Uh, you're looking at a city overrun with paid activists, actual activists, rioters, looters, people that have been programmed by the media that to go out and, and do harm is the voice of the unheard and it's the right thing to do. And so if you're the judge, if you're Keith Ellison, if you're, I can't remember the mayor's name, that little goofball, but, but fear of that mob being, going even worse and doing even more harm to Minneapolis, do you feel like you would have had the courage or is it a fair expectation to have those leaders have the courage to say, you know what, nah, we're going to do what's right here. These people want, shouldn't even be charged. Uh, and, and yeah, the city's probably going to burn three more weeks or another month and, and Minneapolis will have the reputation of the, the most racist city in America, but we gotta do the right thing here because we can't sacrifice these four cops. Uh, do you have any sympathy for any of the people, Keith Ellison, the mayor, the judge, any of these people that 
committed this crime against these four officers, you have any sympathy for them at all? None. None whatsoever. Find a different job. Go work at KeyBank. It's it's lovely. You show up at 830. You work nine to four after you get yourself checked in and you don't have to deal with any of this nonsense. You chose to be in a position of authority. You chose to deal with the hard issues and you failed. Keith Ellison is a partisan hack who only sees life through his woke lens. Skin color is the only thing that matters to that guy and the Muslim religion. Um, so I have absolutely no tolerance for him and his agenda because we've been all living with it for some years now. This everyone involved knew that's what we learned. Even before I watched the fall of Minneapolis, we had covered this a week or two earlier when one of the top assistant uh, prosecutors in that jurisdiction filed a sexual discrimination lawsuit against her boss in the DA's office. It didn't have to do exactly with the Chauvin case. It was something else. And in the course of that case, they took her deposition. She gave a deposition and so did others. And it came out prior to the release of this documentary that she knew early on the evidence did not fit the narrative that the DA's office was going with. She knew because she spoke to the medical examiner examiner the day he performed the George Floyd autopsy. And the M.E. said he was not asphyxiated. He had, his neck had no injuries. He didn't he wasn't choked to death. He wasn't smothered. He he wasn't deprived of oxygen. His neck was fine. And he said to her, these are the kinds of cases that ruin careers. And they didn't do anything about it. <laughs> you know, she's now coming out with the truth. So good for her. She wound up leaving the DA's office because they wanted her to then prosecute the other three cops and she wouldn't do it. So she eventually found her moral code. Too effing bad. You chose to be in a position of authority where you put the interests of justice above anything else, above politics, above your own personal career, how you're going to be perceived by your neighbors. And that is your singular duty. And all of those individuals you just mentioned failed. Had I been the governor, had I been the mayor, I would have done my level best to say, we're about to have a mass riot. We need the National Guard to get over here and to park here for the next several weeks, because they're not gonna like what we're about to do. Look at Daniel Cameron in Kentucky. He did it in the Breonna Taylor case. He was under enormous pressure to bring charges against those officers who went into this, the no-knock warrant, that whole case, um, and he didn't do it. He got in front of a grand jury and he made very clear to that grand jury, this is really not an appropriate criminal case. This guy came out shooting at the cops and nailed one in, a, in the femur and he shot back. This is not some murder, as the press is leading you to believe. He had courage. He just ran and lost in a tight race for, for governor. Um, but he went on to have a political career there notwithstanding. But he was called an uncle, Tom. He happens to be black. He was called skin folk and not kin folk by some of these you know, Black Lives Matter leftists who have been elected to Congress. He took it like a man because he understood what the right thing to do was. And the more I've seen from this documentary and from the case evidence that's coming out day by day on this, the more horrified I am that these cops didn't have anyone like that looking out for their interests. May I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot because I don't know how you'll react to this question or this assertion, but take Daniel Cameron. To the best of my understanding, following his social media feed, that guy's a Christian. He, he's a believer. 
And so, like, if you really understand the history of this country, the people that made this great, the people that were willing to make the kind of sacrifices, courageous sacrifices that you're talking about they needed to make in Minneapolis, if you look at the people that died during the Civil War, the people that fought against slavery, the people that fought against Jim Crow, these were all believers. And so they're willing to risk their lives because they think there's something better in the afterlife. And they, and they, they take their faith very seriously. And so I, I look at the lack of courage we see in Minneapolis and across the country, it's because we've abandoned our faith. That's been our superpower. That's why we started the tradition, you go into court, you put your hand on a Bible and you swear before God because that used to mean something. And now as we become more secular, we see a pervasiveness and a pandemic of cowardice. Mm, I couldn't agree with that more. They've, they've adopted their own Wiccan type religion of wokeism, which is driven solely by identity. And it's the most divisive force in the American culture right now. And they've pledged allegiance to it. And it really does divide us. It divides us by race, by, by gender, by sexual preferences, you name it, all those things that we used to try to push down on the list of what's important. They've elevated to the top. And it's the only lens through which they see anything now. It's been incredibly divisive. I do feel optimistic that it's dwindling in importance. People are starting to see that it's a scam. It's just completely vacuous and it's nothing to hitch your wagon to. But we have some cleanup to do because an entire generation of young people was indoctrinated in this thinking that drives Keith Ellison and people like him. And people like you and like me are gonna have to remind them there's another way. And those of us with kids are gonna have to make sure we do go to church every Sunday. And we make the kids sit there even when they're tired or they don't feel 100% or they've got a sporting event that they're supposed to be at. Things need to be arranged so that you can make the Sunday mass because what's happening there is a moral imprint that will serve them for the rest of their lives and to your point, will serve society. M Megan, I've watched that documentary twice in the first I think 36 hours that it came out. And, and the number one thing, and, and I thought very powerful, but the number one thing that struck me was the George Floyd funeral and that pastor McAfee coming out and opening the George Floyd funeral with a shout out to the gangster disciples, yes. the bloods, and and uh, the vice lords, I, I was like, holy, this explains everything. <laughs> We're no different than these third world South American countries that are run by drug gangs. And it's like, we got the exact same thing going on here in America. The gangs are actually in control. We're shouting them out to open up a funeral and, and, and no one bats it. I did not know that happened until I, and I was like, holy cow. That was crazy. That was a crazy moment that the disgusting pandering to whom again, to mass murderers in the crypts or the bloods. I heard it too and was shocked. I was less shocked, but equally disgusted by good old Al Sharpton, once again, out there misleading the public on the biggest cases that are the most divisive in the nation at a time when we should be brought together by cooler heads. He's always there to inflame falsely. 
falsely. That's his history. And he got out there and said, George Floyd was perfectly healthy. There was nothing wrong with him. That's a lie. That was Ben Crump. That was Ben Crump. It was, that was Ben Crump. No, Ben Crump. The same. He's exactly yeah. the same. Everything I said about Al yes. Sharpton is true about Ben Crump. It's a complete <laughs> lie. He had enough fentanyl in him, George Floyd did, to kill a horse. It was 11, I don't remember the unit, micro, whatever, not grams, but it was 11, whereas all you need is three. Any normal human being with three would die. Now, even with George Floyd being a larger man who had been an addict and had been taking a lot of fentanyl, so your tolerance goes up, 11 will kill you. This is one of the things the medical examiner examiner was trying to explain to the DA's office, and a willing participant was listening to it, but the both of them realized this, again, is the kind of case that will end a career. So all of it, like the cast of characters that keeps reappearing now when we have one of these situations, you know exactly who it's going to be. You know the lies you're going to be told. You know the media is going to put it on loop. And you know you're never going to get away from it if it happens during an election year. I mean, if George Floyd had happened in 17 or 18, as opposed to the summer of 20, you know, May of 20, it would have been a totally different story. But I've been in this business long, long enough to see what the media does. And if it happens where, it, God forbid, it's a cop, but a, it could be a black cop, but God forbid it's a white cop to, accused of taking the life of a black defendant on the street, it's going to be on loop. All the cable channels and the broadcast are never going to tell the other side. And the American public, riddled with white guilt, is going to go along because they don't want anybody thinking they don't see it, too. So, Megan, you're, you know, two decades younger than me. You may not remember this, but there used to be a time when the media actually told kernels of truth in real time. Colonels, not they wouldn't tell the whole truth, but they tell colonels. Now it seems like we've moved into this era where, well, we're going to tell the truth four years, five years from now in a documentary. We're going to lie to you initially, and then some documentary will come out. And because the, I rewatched after watching the fall of Minneapolis, I, I went back and rewatched the documentary about Trayvon Martin and the hoax they pulled off there mm. and, and how they ginned up this Rachel Gentile as the witness on the phone. And, and, but, but I want from your perspective, how much has the media changed or were we always lying and living in a fantasy world even 20, 25 years ago? No, I don't think we were. I think the media has changed dramatically since the Edward R. Murrow days, since the Walter Cronkite days. Now, Walter Cronkite was a liberal, but I don't think he was anywhere near the same as the liberals you would listen to today on MSNBC. I think Cronkite would be horrified by how far they've taken it. And I do think, I'm going to be honest, uh, the birth of cable news had a big role in it. And including Fox News, where I worked for some years, I think Roger Ailes correctly determined that there was a bias in the news that leaned left and that he wanted to find an antidote to it. He wasn't going to try to cure it. He was just going to provide an alternative that would call it out and do the news in a different way. But his goal was never to be completely straight and down the middle. He understood that Fox was going to have a right word bent. And the more we did that at Fox the more you suddenly saw places like MSNBC and CNN leaning into their bias. And it, at least for a while there, we had them trying to hide it. You know, MSNBC, when it was first born, 
was not this far left organization that it is today. CNN wasn't either. They had liberal reporters. News is liberal. So you're going to have libs up and down the lineup, both in front of and behind the camera. But never before have they been so unabashed about it. And I do think with the advent of Fox and a more sharp, arguably partisan focus, certainly in primetime, but up and down the lineup, um, it became okay. And they leaned in and they were, they outnumbered us in huge numbers. I mean, there was Fox and then there was everything else. And so it began sliding in in the wrong direction to the point where Trump came on the scene. And, um, you know, I've said before, he, he didn't kill the media, but he was the Kevorkian to their suicidality. You know, they, they, they were killing themselves and he helped them along at the end. And it wound up being a very good thing as he exposed them for what they were. Uh, I want to know what you think about uh, Disney and, and Bob Iger basically acknowledging that their leftward bent, their narrative agenda pushing and all of their content has actually hurt the bottom line of Disney. And, and I'm wondering if you think, is that a consequence they're just going to live with or if they'll make some sort of real adjustment? I mean, I'll be satisfied when they fire the woman who was caught on camera saying, I sneak my secret gay agenda into every movie and TV show I can, and no one seems to bother me. Get rid of her. Get rid of the woman in front of, above her, who was caught on tape by that Chris Rufo release saying, I've got two kids who are non-binary and trans and whatever. I mean, it's like the odds of one person having more than one child with it. It's, it's you, madam. It's you. Um, so when they start firing the people who are pushing this nonsense on it, on us, I'll, maybe I'll believe Bob Iger is doing things differently. Right now, I think he's just trying to say, hey, we recognize this isn't that popular, so we're going to dial back on the wokeism. He said something to that effect. And now in this release, they had to admit that their revenue's down 14% thanks to the bombing of several of their products that I think lean too left and just the general distrust in Disney these days. Uh, generally, pro- they're, they're profit motivated, these companies. However, unfortunately, in today's corporate America and sports America and White House, we could go on. There is a very loud minority contingent of woke diversity hires that don't give a damn about what's right or the corporate bottom line. They only care about centering their issues, their trauma, their generational trauma, what, you know, fill in the blank. And in too many instances, these corporate CEOs and our president, et cetera, have been completely beholden to them and terrified of standing up to them. And they got organizations like Media Matters that promote, justify their agenda and run cover for them. Have you seen uh, Jeremy Boring's trailer for this movie, Lady Ballers, he has coming out? I want to play that trailer for our audience. This is the type of stuff that gives me hope. This thing looks like it could potentially be amazing. I think this trailer is about, Jeremy doesn't make short trailers. I wish he had done this in two minutes, but I think he did it in three and a half. We'll play the whole thing, and then I'm going to get Megan's reaction. In a world where women's sports is being transformed. The Daily Wire calls foul. 
with the most triggering comedy of the year. Guys, this is serious. Sports can be your pathway to a better life. Well, like yours? <laughs> Please don't steal my catalytic converter again. Winning matters. It's the key ingredient in becoming a winner. Well, maybe you should try it sometime. Are you gonna move? I am not. Let's cut to the chase. I know you're not a woman. Hey, you don't know how he identifies. If you could beat them. What do you know about the US Opens for the global games? You want us to compete as women. $5,000 prizes. My lover says you were a great coach back in the day. Join them. This is the way the world is now. My eight-year-old daughter told me all about it. So a guy can become a girl with no physical changes at all. Oh, that's called gender fluid. So I can be a woman on the court and a man in the bedroom. I can't believe it. Nice! You mean when you're sleeping? Yes. Coach? Alex. We, we could play, play basketball. basketball. We'd have to get the whole team back together. It's time. We're in. I'm in. I'm in. To play. Lady Baldus. Mount up. Like a girl. Guess what? I'm with her. Believe me, my truth. This is my truth. Heroes. Day one of being a girl athlete. <laughs> I love being a girl. To Sheroes. We could dominate every woman's sport. Running. Swimming, soccer. I said sport, Felix. Slatey's basketball, boys. Nobody watches. Excuse me. Are these seats open? <laughs> ne never mind. Getting dunks. <laughs> Tucking trunks. No, she didn't. That's the biggest I've ever seen on a lady. I don't care. Lady Falls. One can even be trans age now, which provides Sheelix with a wonderful opportunity to relive all the experiences that she missed out on in school. <laughs> Streaming exclusively on Daily Wire Plus, December 1st. I, I, I really think that looks like it could be amazing. And if it is successful, which I think it could be, that, that would have some real impact because I, I think Gutfeld has had impact in the comedy space and put pressure on the late night talk show host. And, and what The Daily Wire is doing here, I think, is important. I love it. I love every minute of it. I love The Daily Wire. And Jeremy Boring is actually, he looks like he's doing a very good job acting there. His background is in Hollywood and he and Ben met and, you know, they sort of were both boy geniuses, especially Ben, as Jeremy would say. And they, they formed this great company that's been making a big impact and, and really taking on Disney and other companies who are pushing this nonsense. So I love to see it. Jeremy looks like he's actually doing a good job. It, Clavin, Ben, Ted Cruz, Matt Walsh, my God. <laughs> it's amazing, the outfit, you almost don't notice it's him. So anyway, if you like The Daily Wire, I'm sure you're going to love this movie. I'm looking forward to watching it. And I, I love it because it just calls out the absurdity of what they're doing to us, what they're doing to girls' sports and women's sports. And that thing they say at the end, you know, about um, now I'm trans age, you know, so he or she has the right to play t-ball against the little girls. 
That actually happened recently, Jason. Up north of the border, Michael Knowles, speaking of the Daily Wire, calls Canada our evil top hat. (laughs) In our evil (laughs) top hat, there was such a case recently where a 50-year-old man said he identified as a girl and they let him swim against 12-year-olds. That happened. Rebel News up there got it on tape, interviewed some of the parents. And, you know, the Canadians, they're very nice people, too nice. They didn't make a thing out of it. The parents allowed it to happen to preserve the guy's feelings. So this is art imitating life, but it's happening. It's real. What I love what the Daily Wire is doing is it's just taking the layup that they're giving us because comedy is horrible and people love to laugh. Laughter is healthy. It's it's holistic. It, it's a great way of pressuring people and exposing truth without coming off as mean spirited. And and there, there's, you know, not that I watch Saturday Night Live regularly, but I used to enjoy Saturday Night Live. And it's like, there's so much comedy gold to be mined from the left, from Joe Biden, from Barack Obama, from any of these icons on the left that that they refuse to touch. It's just very frustrating for me. And, And so, you know, occasionally Bill Maher will mock the left while putting a button on making sure that the right is the real bad guys. But All of these comedians, to me, leave so much meat on the bones, and I think it's a very savvy move by the Daily Wire and Jeremy and and Ben, just like, no, we're going to take this layup. We'll we'll take this easy money. There's a whole audience out there that's dying for this type of content, and we'll give it to them. Yeah, and you know what the truth is? Most of these people on the center left, they feel exactly as you and I do. They're just way too afraid to say it. So they're not just speaking to right-wing conservative Daily Wire subscribers, there will be, just as with Matt Walsh's What is a Woman, there will be a wider audience for this. And honestly, it makes me happy that at least the younger generation will be given permission to laugh at this. You know, uh, there was a woman I knew back at our old schools in the city, the the private schools that we fled uh, after they got super woke and went hardcore on the gender stuff and the race stuff, all of it. And a friend of mine there, she said, I said, how do you guys deal with it with your boy? And she's like, we we just laugh about it with him. We're like, can you imagine granddad coming over in a dress? And we laugh. And that's how, like, it only takes that kind of moment of, it's not telling you to like mock transgender people. It's telling you that's an absurd way to live your life. And some people may choose to do it, whatever, but that's not us it's okay to laugh this thing off as the absurdity that it is. That's how I handle it with my kids too. Like we don't bully anybody. There's no reason to make somebody feel bad one-on-one, but we don't play the pronoun game. We don't engage in somebody else's fantasy about themselves. And there's only two sexes, boy and a girl. This is what you guys are. And this is what you are. Uh, Let's move to a serious topic. You're going to be hosting along with Elizabeth Vargas, the next uh, GOP presidential debate. Uh, how, please explain to me and the audience, how is this going to be different and better than the snooze fest we've been treated to so far? Well, 
if it's a snooze fest, we really will have failed because we're designing it to be the opposite of that. Uh, and, you know, this is my sixth presidential debate. So I think I know how to do that. And in a perfect world, Jason, you won't be thinking about me or Elizabeth Vargas or our third co-moderator, Eliana Johnson of the Washington Free Beacon at all. In a perfect world, these guys will do what they're supposed to do because we're going to give them the leash to do it and debate, you know, and, and have it out. Like, let's have it. You say your position, then you say your position and then go back to the first guy. What? How do you respond to that response? And let them breathe, you know, let the arguments breathe a little. And none of us, our main goal is don't be so married to our little darlings, you know, our questions that we stifle debate between the candidates. So this has been the cardinal sin of the debates I've watched so far. They don't foster or even allow the debates when they get started. The two candidates get onto something hot. You as the audience member are like, yeah, I want to hear it. Then the, the moderator interrupts and moves you on to something completely unrelated. You learn nothing, but you see the moderator has written some very nice questions that she has down on a note card, and she's very committed to getting through. Well, that's boring. I mean, for the most part, we know what their positions are, right? So it's like, you don't have to make sure you get to every single issue in foreign policy and every single domestic issue, every single cultural. Like, if if you catch fire, let it burn. Watch it. Let, like, see how they do. Anyway, we plan on let, allowing that to happen. We plan on doing a lot of things that will spice things up. And um, so I think it's going to be a fun and informative debate. D does a debate need three moderators? And, I, and I'm not asking you to dump on any of your coworkers here. And I don't want you, but, but it, three moderators seems like an issue in terms of, you know, it depends. That's, that's too um, many cooks no. in the kitchen. Mm, no, we don't need. I mean, I'd be very comfortable doing it by myself, and I'm happy to do it with Elizabeth and Eliana as well. Um, but I'll say a couple things on it. Number one, I, I am starting to believe that a general election debate needs more than one moderator. Because in traditionally, we've only used one moderator for those debates, and it's always a lefty. Always. And the advantage always goes to the Democrat. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I really think if I were the RNC, if I'm the Republican candidate, I'd say I'm not debating unless there are two out there. There's one who's more right leaning and then you can pick anybody you want because they're all left leaning, uh, you know, other than a small collection. So because it's just it's too much. The Candy Crowley thing, interrupting Mitt Romney, saying trying to correct the record in a wrong way. Chris Wallace trying to shut down Trump when he was trying to raise Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's alleged corruption with the payments from the widow of the Moscow mayor, all shut down by Chris Wallace. No chance for that to air out in a way that would have been helpful, as we've seen, even Democrats care about the Biden corruption scandal. Anyway, uh, but for purposes of the RNC and the GOP primary debates, I think the RNC has a couple of goals, and I understand those goals. You know, you need somebody who can foot the bill, because these are very expensive to put on. This is not a cheap affair. And so you do need somebody who's got deep pockets and the ability to put on a first class production. And that was important to me, too. That was important to me. I didn't want to go to any sort of a Wayne's World basement production for this debate. Um, and then you want to get some. Who's putting this ideally, on? Who's putting this one on? Who's putting News this Nation. On? News Nation is putting this one on, which is a new cable channel that's trying to be more down the middle. Uh, and I appreciate the effort. We'll see whether there's an audience for that. But that's their mission. 
So unlike 99% of the news, their mission is not to be open or secret leftists. <laughs> They're actually trying to toe, you know, the old school line of staying in the middle. Um, and then they want to bring in other partners like Free Beacon is a very interesting, you know, right leaning publication uh, that's got a certain set of views. And then there's me, who's I'm a registered independent, but I am I've been open about the fact that I cannot see myself voting for a Democrat in today's day and age because they've just lost their ever loving minds. But I have in the past. So it's not that I hate the left, but I certainly don't agree with most of what they're saying these days. But my point is, I'm simply I'm at least Republican adjacent and conversant, and I understand the right and what matters to them. And that's what you should want in a debate moderator. And you shouldn't care how I vote. You should care about if I understand the issues that are important to the people who will vote in the Republican primaries. So I think between the three of us, they've got they've got the issues covered and uh, we all have a different style. You know, Eliana is a true blue conservative. I think Elizabeth, she's kind of in the middle. She actually is. Uh, and I'm a little bit more center right. So it should make for a good mix of questions. So uh, the issue in the room is no Trump. And so does that, does not having Trump, does this mean this whole thing is kind of purposeless? I asked myself that before I accepted the invitation to moderate this thing. Like, do I want to? Like, is this, is this useful? And the end conclusion was it clearly is useful because while Trump is beating these guys by 50 points, um, anything could happen. He's facing very unique challenges that no front runner in the history of politics has ever faced. You know, he's got four criminal indictments against him. He absolutely could be a convicted felon by November 24 and even an incarcerated one. That is not likely, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. And Republicans really would have to do some soul searching if their nominee were in prison on, on election day, serving out a lengthy sentence. I mean, come on, you, you've got to admit that. But on top of that, Trump is 77 years old. On top of that, there are efforts underway in several states to try to remove him from the ballot altogether, saying he's an insurrectionist under the 14th Amendment and his name should not even appear on the ballot. Now, he's won the first two of those contests, um, so that's good for Trump, but they're not all resolved. So there are a few contingencies that could make first alternate very relevant. And then there's the second possibility of one of these guys pulling the inside straight. You know, somehow, let's take Nikki Haley for example, because she's surging right now amongst the undercard. Um, she. I just threw up going, in my mouth. Hold on for a second. Let me let me gather uh, myself. All right. Continue. Not, got it. Not a fan. I'll forward that. Um, but let's just take her as an example. She yeah. is leading. This is all after Trump. Trump's crushing all of them in all these states. So just that as a caveat. But she's leading on the undercard in New Hampshire. She's probably going to win South Carolina amongst the undercard because she's from there. And so the first date is Iowa, where Ron DeSantis has bet everything. He's doing the full 99 counties. He spent tons of money. He got the endorsement of the governor. He got the endorsement of Bob, Bob Vanderplatz, very conservative leader whose word means something there. But latest polls, he's even with Nikki Haley. Like she could pull out a surprise in Iowa and wind up, quote, winning air quotes for your listeners. Just, you know, it means coming in second. 
if she did that, if she came in second in Iowa and then somehow managed to come in second in New Hampshire, I just don't see how she beats Trump in New Hampshire either. And then somehow pulls off a victory and a real victory in South Carolina, her home state becoming, you know, coming in number one. Again, very unlikely, but possible. All the money behind her, et cetera. We go into Super Tuesday. Maybe it's a new ball game. Would you put money on that? Mm, probably not. But who am I to say it can't happen? I don't know what country I'll proclaim that I'll move to if that happens. But I'll, <laughs> I'm sure by, by the time that happens, I will do what the leftists always do and say, I'm leaving the country. Wait, wait, can I, can I ask you something? Because <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you, can I ask you, because I'm, I'm very interested in yeah. like hearing, I, I love the Republican Party and I love its different factions and I love how people on the right have very strong disagreements, but still understand we're fighting a bunch of lunatics. So, you know, we're still part of the same team. So I'm interested both in the Haley lovers and haters, same on DeSantis, same on Vivek. So in a nutshell, what is it you can't stand about her? I'm a patriarch, and I make no excuses about it. I, I so just, what do you mean? I mean, I mean, I generally understand, but what do you mean? I believe in male, I believe in male leadership. Not Joe Biden. He's a closeted something or other. But I just, I just she's a closet feminist, uh, and, uh, you know, her little comments about anonymous, she doesn't, I, I, you know, I, I think she's a plant. Uh, so I, I just, I don't, the establishment, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a Trump guy. I'm a MAGA guy. Uh, you know, I, I do have worries and concerns. I, I guess I'm, I am open to Ron DeSantis. Uh, but <clears throat> you know, at the end of the day, Megan, if you connect my entire narrative, and again, this is where it gets complicated with Trump. I wish that Trump knew how to articulate a sincere faith in God. But at the end of the day, we need men following God to lead this country. If we're ever going to get it back anywhere close to what it used to be. And I don't think we can do that with Nikki Haley, uh, you know, any of these candidates. Uh, I like Vivek. He's a, he's Hindu. You know, th that's a bit. But I do like Vivek. Uh, I like DeSantis. But uh, and, and I wish Trump could take himself off the cross. And, really, and I know what's happening to him is bad, but he ain't Jesus. He ain't on no cross. Just a little humility. And I know what he's facing is unprecedented. I wish again that that Right now, Trump's the best I got, and so I got to stick with him, and I'm going to stick with him, and I'm certainly going to stick with his crowd, the MAGA crowd, that, that, you know, black people can't figure it out, but all the MAGA people are, are just working class black people that mm -hmm. got it figured out. We're seeing out. that and more so, and more. We're seeing that more and more yeah. in the polls. Yeah. And so- well, wait, can I just ask you, let me ask uh, you a quick question on the woman thing. Yeah. Like Margaret Thatcher, mm -hmm. did you get behind her? Like the reincarnation of Margaret Thatcher. There are situations like Kari Lake. I was all in on her as governor of Arizona. I would even love her as vice president. Uh, there was a woman in Philadelphia, Kathy Barnett. Love her narrative. All in on her. She's the only person. I, I actually sent Kathy Barnett money. I'm so bought in 
But when it comes to the presidency and, and you know, what we need right now, you know, because I, I think they I think it's a setup. I something about me thinks the establishment wants Michelle Obama versus Nikki Haley. Oh, and God. that's a nightmare scenario uh, <laughs> for me. <laughs> Because I and, will tell and, you, you know, and, not to sound like a yeah. sexist pig myself, but I, 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 if it's going to be a woman, it needs to be a strong woman for sure. And I, you know, people can make up their own minds whether Nikki Haley is that person. But I think of somebody like Margaret Thatcher, she was a ball buster. Now my people, the Irish, not, not fans, but as a woman, I respected her strength, her intellect, her approach to governing. You know, she was kind of like a female Reagan, which is what was important and needed at the time. And so, I mean, I could definitely get behind a person like that, you know, in a heartbeat. I, she's she's more of a man than most of these men today are, just in terms of well, her affect I, and her control and her non-emotionality. I've been studying the book of Judges and listening to other people that have explained to me that sometimes men fall so far from the path that God has to have women stand in the gap because we've been so irresponsible. And, and, and so I have read that in the Bible. And so if it did come down to Nikki Haley versus Michelle Obama, I, I know what, who I would support in that scenario. And I would just have to put my faith in God that maybe Nikki Haley isn't as bad as I think. Uh, what but if it's Nikki Haley versus I, Pete Buttigieg? <laughs> that's, that's a no-brainer. I mean, if they sent Pete Buttigieg out there, I'll probably be out. If he won, I'd be out in the streets rioting. I'd be uh, Antifa for <laughs> right-wing Antifa. Uh, <laughs> this is that's the race that. America uh, needs. That's just yeah. That, that, that's a, hey, I want to play you this clip I found interesting of uh, Oliver Stone and Bill Maher talking, and and. Oliver Stone basically backing up Donald Trump that the 2020 election wasn't legit. And so, to, to, you know, Trump gets all this heat for uh, not conceding the 2020 election, and I don't blame him. Uh, there's, I, you'll never convince me Biden got 81 million votes. And when I see someone like Oliver Stone basically backing up Trump, it's like, oh, man. Even some leftists, are all they want is the truth, too. They're so fed up with these lies, they'll go as far as to back up Donald Trump. And so I kind of, I want to play you the clip and get your reaction. You know Trump has, he still has not conceded the election. He has not conceded. He he does not honor the... Okay, I mean, do you know for a fact that uh, he, he lost? I'm just curious. Okay. You're going to make I, me. I, I, I just don't know all the facts. Because, and you're right. When well, you, I'm just asking you. I'm not an expert on the election. I don't go. I'm not a political junkie. Oh, you are. And you follow it very closely. Okay. All right. Then I'll give you the thumbnail sketch. They tried it in like 60 courts. It was laughed out of every court, including by Republican judges. Repu the people who saved this democracy were Republicans, good Republicans in states where Trump pressured them like the guy, the one he's on trial for in Georgia, find me 11,000 votes, it's on tape. It, a guy like that saying to him, sir, we just don't do that here. I voted for you, I'm a Republican, but we just don't do that. That's what saved us. And they were- That's what saved us, yeah, yeah, that's what saved us. Aren't we, don't you feel saved right now?
I think Both it's, of you. it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting that's where he went anyway. to the, the the one down in Georgia because that to me is one of the weakest ones. I realize we have a whole case, a whole federal case or a, a state case based on it now, but if you look at that transcript with Trump, he wasn't saying go make up 11,000 votes. He was saying I believe I won by over 100,000, but all I need you to find out of the corrupt missing 100,000 is 11. I mean, that's really what he was saying. Now, you can say you're nuts. You didn't have 100,000. You didn't have 11. But he wasn't like, go find me. He was if you read the whole transcript, it was a the, the conversation makes a lot more sense and was pretty weak sauce. That is not Bill Maher's best argument. Now, look, Jason, I will tell you something. I believe Donald Trump lost the election, but I would never answer the question. Do you know that for a fact with yes, I, I don't know that for a fact. No one knows it for a fact until you know, you, at, at some level, all of our elections are a system of trust. And what happened with Donald Trump was he kicked the tires so hard on the system of trust, we all realized it was extremely flawed and maybe our trust has been too blind for all these years. Maybe we relied on a system as, oh, we would never do that. They, this would never happen to the point where we sort of built up this blind faith only to realize we'd placed it in the wrong people and the wrong systems. And I'm open-minded to that possibility. But no, here we are all these three years later, I don't see the proof that he won. Nothing's come out. They've tried to find it in state after state. And there's nothing that has proven that there was any set level of cheating that would have made the difference in his in his actual presidential race. So I'm somebody who is reality-based and fact-based, and I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm saying there hasn't been proof of it. And for me, I need proof before I'm going to say things like there was mass cheating in an election. Um, Oliver Stone, you know, he is a conspiratorial guy. That's how he's made his name. So I'm not surprised that this is interesting to him. But you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to believe as he does. The vast majority of Republicans believe the election was stolen. They don't believe the numbers. They're, they're with you. They're not with me. And I see that. And that's fine. And the, we do have to do something about it. We've done not too much. So I don't think we're going to have a lot of faith in the, in the next election. But if Donald Trump wins it, then they need to stop. Then we need to stop criticizing the electoral system because it can't be every time the Republican loses, it's corrupt. And every time he wins, it's fine. I, uh, I guess there's a debate about what is cheating because you know, the Democrat, hey, you know, the pandemic, we had to change all the rules. There had to be mail-in voting. Granted, we had to have granted. voting months, blah, blah, blah. And so the, the, we didn't cheat. We did mail-in ballots and we did voting months. And, I agree with all that. And so we did. And, and so there are people like me that think, yeah, you changing the rules last minute under the pretense of this pandemic, that's cheating. Well, that's You're why I think there's a difference between measures. rigged, like Trump says it was rigged, and Caitlin Collins in the CNN town hall tried to correct him, saying there's no evidence of that. Well, she was wrong to do that. There's plenty of evidence that it was, quote, rigged. And you could go beyond the mail-in ballots and the rule changes in places like Pennsylvania, which really mattered, um, and go to the media. My God. You know, the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story, the interference of the government officials, the CIA, the FBI, to suppress negative news for the you know Democratic candidate and his family, we could spend all day doing that. But when I think about like cheating and stolen election, I think about fraudulent votes, the stuff about the voting machines, the stuff about ballots that were switched or falsely created. 
And that I want to see evidence of before I, as a lawyer, sign on to that. And I just haven't seen it. Not enough that would change the outcome. Hmm. Hmm. All right. You see, do, do you, final question. Uh, do you think Joe Biden will be on the ballot come November? Next, yeah, next November. Such a hard question. But all right, I'm going to have, if I have to answer it, I'm going to say yes. Because even though everyone around him and Axelrod and others are saying, you need to step down, this is absurd, you can't do it. I just don't think he's going to voluntarily walk away from power. I mean, I just think he's not going to do it willingly. He's not going to do it. And I don't think he's going to listen to Barack Obama coming and putting him, you know, pulling him aside, saying for the good of the country. I think he's full of hubris. I think he's a dishonest person. I think he is very narcissistic, as you kind of have to be in order to run for president. And he's going to think he can do it and that everybody else is wrong that he's been doubted all his life, and yet look at him, he did it. And I think that this is probably a good thing for America because he's probably going to lose. Um, I, don't, I don't believe the Democrats will reelect him. And I think m- many of them will stay home. So I think most of these Republicans running right now could beat him. I think you know, the GOP, like they're, for once they're in a good position. I do think for leftists, what they could do is, well, Biden's on the ballot, I'll stay home rather than have to go in there and pull the lever for Trump. And so I kind of like that option, but I just don't believe Biden will be on the ticket. And so if not Biden, will it be Gavin Newsom or will it be Michelle Obama? Who do you think candidate number two would be? I mean, I I guess between those two, I'd have to say Newsom because she doesn't want it. She hates Washington. She's made that clear. She's been begged to run for office, including when Barack was leaving. Like they wanted her back then. She doesn't like public service and she doesn't like that town. And I just don't, I think she would have gotten into it already if she wanted to. And I just, I think her life is too great. You know, Jason, she's out on this one's yacht and her multi-million dollar estate and Martha's Vineyard and you know, that her kids at the Tonius schools. And I think she's loving being first lady forever, still on the front of all the fashion magazines. Well, that tends to change when you're the actual candidate. And, uh, you know, she's out of the frying pan into the fire. If she didn't like being so close to the flame as the first lady, I just, I guess I'd have to say, based on what little I know of her, she's not going to do it. However, the Democrats nominating the governor of the most dumpster fire state in the union would be absolutely reckless. I mean, let's we could just spend the rest of the show on his lunatic trans agenda, never mind his lunatic environmental agenda, his financial and economic agenda, the immigration agenda, I mean, we, like on every single issue in, on which Democrats are moving closer to Republicans. He's far left, far left. So he's got the great hairline. He's got the widow's peak. It's not going to be enough. I do not see Gavin Newsom happening. Maybe they'll be stupid enough to nominate him if Biden goes away. But I just don't see the American public electing this guy once they get a closer look under the hood. Megan, thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Awesome as always. Anyway, play tomorrow. And uh, we'll see you next week.
freedom Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder Making all this moves for freedom I want freedom No negotiation, my sister, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving, all deceiving We all wanna be free We want free 